You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Fraser, and I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today, I'm your host. Welcome to this episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast, the latest in our ongoing series where we talk with leaders in Australia uh, and in the Australian tech industry about topics like culture, scalability, and growth. As ever, we have a cohort of industry experts who are excited to share their thoughts and insights with you. So let's get into those intros. Uh, Sam, uh, the Head of Engineering for Human Force. Tell us something about yourself quickly. Um, yeah, thanks, Fraser. So I'm the Head of Engineering Human Force. Um, I've worked in software for 10 to 15 years now. Um, Human Force is a company that um, builds a suite of different HR business management tools. So um, I'm sort of involved in all things like uh, workforce management, rostering, performance and growth, but uh, also uh, big effort into uh, analytics and insights generation. Perfect. Thank you. And uh, Chris, the Director of Software, De- Software Development at Vera Mobility. Tell us about yourself. Hi, Fraser. How are you going? Um, so 25 odd years of software development experience going from um, startups to large organizations. I've kind of done it all for and a variety of things that I've created as well from digital courtroom recording software to um, online DVD ordering. Um, yeah, and currently at uh, Vera Mobility started there um, fairly recently. So just still trying to find my way around the organization. And Mitch, the CTO from Venomofo, and yourself, mate. G'day, Fraser. Uh, yeah, I've got very similar similar time um, experience as Chris there, around 24 odd years uh, in uh, yeah, software and uh, telco networking. Um, lived abroad for a long time uh, and then I've made my way into uh, e- uh, e-commerce. But a um, number of, been very fortunate to have a number of CTO roles in different industries. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've, I've been back in Australia for about 12 years now. Um, and, uh, it's a pretty thriving, pretty thriving market. So I'm re- really enjoying myself. Um, uh, personally, um, father of two young girls, um, who are the, probably the funniest people I know in my life, uh, make me laugh every day and, uh, it makes it fun. Sweet. Thank you. Well, look, thanks uh, for joining us and uh, jumping into it. What are we talking about today? So following on from our recent exchange episodes, which if you haven't caught them yet, I highly recommend it. Today's focus revolves around modernizing interview processes. I'm particularly enthusiastic about this subject due to how the last couple of years have impacted both the hiring and retention of staff across the entire industry. So our conversation aims to explore specific subtopics created by our esteemed guests. Recent topics that I've covered have been more focused on culture created by the leaders. Today, I wanted to take a step back to understand more about what prospective employees see from those leaders during the interview process. With the addition of AI hiring processes and the reduction of drawn out technical rounds, I'm interested to learn more about how companies have modernized their interview processes. So, uh, Sam, you were going to talk us through uh, co-challenges versus the take-home test, how those have changed uh, under your watch and from what you've seen throughout the industry. Yeah, so I suppose where I was most concerned there is um, how are we modernizing technical assessment, which because I come from a software engineering background is, you know, co-challenges and take-home tests, but I I, um, would imagine that it extends to other industries as well. Um, So... Uh, I think over the last few years, uh, I think it's become really important that we have to spend, we have to be very careful that 
we know what we're looking for and that our technical assessments align to what we're looking for because in many cases that technical assessment is the first chance that you get to set an impression um, particularly about the technical culture of the, the company you're from but maybe just the culture in general um, so uh, in uh, nowadays i mean there's lot, lots of different tools we can use uh, and they are generally ways of doing either let's say rapid assessments which are code challenges or uh, longer term ones which might be take-home tests and depending where you go, it varies about which is uh, which is more appropriate. And I don't think either one is right or wrong. It's whether or not it uh, aligns with how your company operates or how the role at least operates. So if you've got um, a technical assessment style that that's you know very rapid and high stress, then that tells the candidate, well, this is what you do day to day. Uh, on the other hand, if you've got a take-home test that's more poorly documented or full of bugs and isn't well maintained then that also tells the candidate how what you do day to day uh, so in many cases i think the best thing the best way to modernize your technical assessments is to make sure that uh, that they line up with how you actually want to work or how you want the company to work um, i'd say personally my opinion is that the rapid assessments are uh, uh, falling away they're becoming uh, less common and i think that's particularly because the the introduction of um, LLMs and AIs that can solve those quite quickly means that there's not, uh, you can't have as much confidence in a response. Um, I've certainly seen a few hacker rank submissions that are recorded where the candidate spends about 80% of the, the response time going back and forth, back and forth, getting stuck on bugs. And then in the last 10 minutes, suddenly they've got a solution. Uh, and so you can sort of guess that, okay, there's some sort of outside input used there. Um, so if that's the if that's the way that your company uh, company operates, if that's what you want your candidate to be doing, if you want them to be just you know um, producing raw code as fast as possible, then that might still work for you. Um, and maybe you don't care that they're using an AI to produce code. It's a tool that's available to us, so there's no particular reason you'd have to rule it out of technical assessment. But if you're more interested in a, a candidate that you want to own problems to understand a you know a context and to uh, to be really engaged with the thing that you're building then a take-home test is probably better and that's the first chance that you get to show that candidate what your conditions are like um, so i think you know it's a good opportunity if you are doing take-home tests um, to give it a bit of character you know don't don't have just a dry um, complex problem to solve put a bit of time and effort into you know having some kind of branding or a theme or something like that that actually makes it engaging but you also have to be respectful of the candidate's time i think that's a big one um definitely in uh, in the market uh you have to understand that if your challenge is going to take a candidate you know five to ten hours that's a substantial amount of someone's investment um and they've, they've got to be well engaged with you as a company before you can get them to do something like that uh, and then you have to consider if they are spending that amount of time is it worth it? Are they are they doing something in those hours that you actually need to assess? Um, you know, is it something that is it something that is just busy work, or is it actually you know the demonstration of a skill that's that's critical to you, or is it something that you even need to check? Is it something that you think this person should have and you can take it for granted? Um, I think there's also a few other um, pitfalls companies make there too. Uh, Open-ended take-home tests tend to have really poor engagement, I find. You're better off if you've got a, a working app, a prototype for a candidate to work on rather than just a, you know, bootstrap this thing and show us what you can do in a couple of hours. Um, yeah, so I, I think all that comes down to 
make sure you align that uh, align that assessment with how you actually want to work as a company and obviously maintain it that goes without saying but also to consider you know what are you actually evaluating there um do you i mean do you even care that the the candidate that you're evaluating has three years experience in a code language or six years is there much difference there to you practically or are you actually more interested to see what they do with the docs and whether or not they write good tests um so i think if you consider all those things you can actually come up with a technical assessment that's engaging and worthwhile and you can probably minimize it too you can probably use that to make it smaller which you know uh, the smaller it is the more likely you are to have a candidate that completes it and enjoys it uh, and then you can take that on to the, the later stages knowing being confident in the candidate that you've got the right person how does that compare in your mind then to i know a few companies now have people come in and they'll actually do a tech test in the office uh you know whether it be a whiteboarding or anything like that so the comparison of uh, you know the code challenges the take-home test to the in-office examination almost uh sort of the, to how that's how beneficial that can be sort of in the moment sort of under the vision of everyone that's in there yeah i, I think that i think that still tracks so mm -hmm. the, you know if you take that guideline of make sure it aligns with the way you want to be working uh if you expect your um your workforce to come into the office and to um you know to do collaborative work around a table or or on a whiteboard then assess things that way i think i think we might find that there's a particular software engineering there might be a lot of candidates that are turned off by that sort of thing they find it confrontational you know, engineers tend to be more introverted um but uh if you're willing to lose those candidates because maybe they don't you know if they don't suit your co uh, company culture then they're not the right candidate for the role anyway so uh, i don't again i don't think one's uh, better or worse i think it's just got to align with what you want and you might find that doing one way gets you less candidates than another but if they're the right candidates then that's the right way to be doing it perfect okay, guys any questions yeah um i'll ask one <laughs> how effective do you find the um uh technical uh, assessments in terms of do you, do you ever feel like there's um a candidate who assesses well or has has even got assistance uh from friends and family sort of a thing to 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 complete the work uh when you get into further um further along the interview process with you go you know what i'd never probably would have interviewed this person um in the first place had i you know once i once i engage with them um yeah that's a very good question i i think um when i say technical assessment i suppose i'm only referring to the the hard uh resource so you know the code uh code challenges or, or take on tests but there's a very important stage after that where you return the technical assessment to the candidate um, and that might be in the form of a code review. It might be some feedback. Um, that uh, that part uh, that part of the interview is really important as well, um, because of one that gives you a chance to show the candidate how you um, how you give criticism and feedback in a constructive manner. Uh, but two, if you do have those candidates that have had some assistance, or whether it's from a you know uh, an AI or um, someone helped them out, I think that really comes out because you ask them questions about why did you use this approach. Uh, and if they're a good candidate, they'll have a, a rich answer. Or they might say, I ran out of time. This is something that I needed to do. And I know I could achieve it this way quickly, which is a valid response, which you might want, you know, in day-to-day -day work, you might want someone to take the quicker approach. Um, so, yeah, I think that that second stage there is really what you have to rely on there. I don't know if there's a way to avoid the time loss 
though I think that you know it's part of the course if you're if you're doing technical assessment you've got to accept that sometimes people fail um, but uh, yeah definitely the follow-up is very important there I think that's one factor that I think is lost a bit in interview processes just with the sheer volume of candidates that we have applying for roles at the moment the ability for the hiring manager or, or the team to be able to take that that time away and actually give feedback on you know hey you did amazing in your in your code test or the technical challenge whatever it ended up being which and then obviously provide that feedback or the flip side of that taking that time to say look these are the areas that you didn't sort of complete it in and uh, actually going through it with them and however much detail is required but it's some it's a, an area of feedback that i get from a lot of candidates is that they don't really understand why they didn't pass or or achieve the the, the test or achieve it to the level that they were uh, that they hoped to and there's no visible growth in that stage then either which is always helpful when you're you know, applying for something that might be you knew it was a little bit higher than what you should be applying for or that you you know that was a bit outside your comfort zone but just getting the blanket oh no we're not interested definitely I guess doesn't help the process uh, so yeah, taking that time to provide feedback I think is very important whether it's a, a pass or a fail to use that word I think is uh, is very important to candidates and uh, Mitch did you uh yeah no I think you've um you've you know brought up something really important there about and I think like you touched upon it Sam about being respectful of people's time unfortunately these days even if you know you get them to do a test uh, for whatever reason and you don't give them feedback, that's still really common, unfortunately. And it's really disrespectful because, as we all know, the an interview process it's a it's a you know it's a bi bidirectional thing. I'm trying to should be trying to attract people to come and join your company. So, I think you said I said at the, at the beginning, Sam, you're b being really clear about knowing what you want. Like I, I, you know, I'm very careful about. I take time to really. Uh, you know, write, you know, bring to life a job description before it's posted. So it's not just a, you know, pretty cookie cutter black and white thing. I'm trying to paint a picture of a company and a role and a team and, and you know, what what type of uh, growth and, and even just curiosity um, uh, aspects there are of the role and whatnot. So unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of roles where it is a bit ambiguous. And uh, so, you know, what's the, I suppose the term in data, garbage in, garbage out. Um, so I'm you know, very meticulous on writing very carefully worded job descriptions because you know, I've made that mistake in the past. Now I need to be crystal clear um, to really, really bring it to life. Uh, and yeah, just sort of writing that back, you know, like uh, I ask for, I said this thing up front, you know, yeah, I said there, there, there may be a, a, a test involved during this process. Um, but it's a very case by case thing. And if somebody's taken their time to do a test, you really must give them feedback. It's really disrespectful. But I suppose one, one last thing I'll say is that, and maybe it's a nature of sort of in e-commerce. It's 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 pretty fast fast pace e-commerce. You don't always have all the answers, which is just the way it is. Uh, uh, it's not so much about solving a problem and achieving the goal. We're trying to we're trying to ascertain, you know, thinking patterns, how to approach the the task because there can be twenty ways to. To, to you know, solve this problem, design thinking, whatnot. So, I know I, I generally set that scene, you know, set that um, expectation up front. So, don't sweat completing this task. It's about how 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 have you thought about, you know, what, what variables have you considered with your approach, and asking them to, to bring it bring it to life. 
maybe the last thing I'll say is that even before all this, um, one thing that um, has, I suppose, avoided the need for for technical tests, whether it's live or take home, is depending on their how depending on how well their CV is written and how they can speak about their background and what they've achieved, asking them to deep dive and bring to life a you know, a project that they've led, done one or more into the you know the relevant detail. Um, sometimes that can avoid even the need for a test if they've really you know passionately brought it to life. Well, look, I think one of the things that, uh, that that you said there, Sam, that takes us to the next question was around sort of the candidates that are actually coming through the process and making sure that they have uh, an idea around sort of what's involved and the test sort of reflects what what the day-to-day environment's going to be. And sort of switching over to Chris there, uh, the topic that you wanted to talk about was, I guess, dealing with that FOMO around making sure that you've got the right candidates involved, not just the right candidates skills-wise, but obviously the right candidates that, that integrate into what you're looking at doing. And that age-old question uh, or, or debate around uh, quantity versus quality, and how you actually select the people that you actually decide to take through into the event, into interview process. Uh, so, yeah, if you could take us away, and we can sort of have a discussion about that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, like, like I'm sure the other gentleman here, um, being interviewing for quite a while. Uh, and it does seem to ebb and flow. You know, there's there's periods where there's not that many job hunters out there, um, and you're really struggling to try to attract um, anyone, uh, let alone let alone good candidates. Um, I uh, and then you've got the opposite problem, right? Where um, where there's a uh, like like we have at the moment, where there's there's a lot of people out there looking. Uh, for a handful of jobs and you have a, a, a you know a vast quantity of people coming through and it's just simply um, challenging to get through every single one of them to give each of them the due diligence when it comes to these resumes uh, to, to try to find the, the, the right sort of candidates to move on to even face-to-face or technical interviews whichever one you want to try and do um, during the start of COVID we put up a job ad uh, for a graduate position and that had 430 applicants come through um, yeah everyone <laughs> pretty much because it was the start of COVID a lot of people lost their jobs which is obviously very unfortunate uh, but there was and there was a lot of graduates out there because people weren't hiring it during that period so you know uh, that was that was tough to get through that number of resumes uh, and then you start getting into uh, the quality you know um, uh, we talk about the amount of effort people put into their resumes and I always get nervous when I put up a job ad and I ask for a, a cover letter to try to get a little bit of an understanding about the, the background of the person sort of thing and, and, and five minutes later you got you got 10 applicants come through and I go, no, I don't think you put much effort into that cover letter um, and, and the quality of resumes is, is becomes very standard i think you can probably grab three quarters of those and stick it into one bucket in terms of what the quality of the resumes are um and now you're starting to shift into um automating that process um and the challenges around automation because it's great to turn around and say i've processed 400 resumes but you know um are you actually pulling out the right people from that process um who are you missing um and, and I think for me as a hiring manager, 
that's my biggest that's my biggest worry am i am i getting those right people in through the door to start with have they looked at the job ad and gone you know what this is something that's interesting to me um and once they've gone to that effort um is the recruitment process picking them up and 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 you know passing them through and i've seen some atrocious resumes from some fantastic people uh which makes me nervous <laughs> so yeah I definitely think it's something that, that I see a lot in my role is uh, clients or, or even companies that I'm not working with reaching out and just really asking for information on how to, how to navigate the situation as it is at the moment, because it is a very unusual job market. And, and there are a lot of questions that even people like yourselves that, that have got a, a huge amount of time in the seat that have been doing it for a long time. It's, it's almost unprecedented the way that it is at the moment. And uh, I, I guess luckily for you you guys also have your main jobs which is you know solving the world's problems through technology uh whereas i'm talking to candidates day in day out understanding what's going on and i, I see the 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 interestingly written cvs that have information that isn't really relevant to the role i see the the shift away from what people wanting to write cover letters etc and uh a lot of the questions I get asked is, yeah, it's 560 a, a normal amount of applications for one role. Uh, we've only put it up on LinkedIn and we've got this. And yeah, like with you, Chris, uh, people are saying, well, I'm worried that amazing people are going to slip through just for the sheer sort of feeling of being overwhelmed. And uh, it, it definitely is a, a situation that, uh, that we're in at the moment around the unfortunate fact that huge quantities of engineers have been made redundant. And there's just a huge number of people sitting there looking for jobs and getting to the point that they're prepared to apply for something even a little bit lower than the level that they're at just because they're desperate to get back into work. So it is a, a difficult time. I, and I think you know, Sam and Mitch, do you have any sort of insights into sort of how you're navigating that sort of, again, FOMO around uh, amazing candidates? Uh, so, I mean, maybe it's, it's one of the benefits of working on being a, maybe a little bit of a smaller company, but, uh, it sort of goes back. Well, it's really two parts to it. It goes back to taking the time to, to write, you know, very carefully worded job descriptions to really bring it to life. So it's not just the technical side. Um, I'm talking, like I talk about values in, in, in the, like the, company and individual values in the job description i'm really trying to paint a picture um and so when i've done that i haven't got the mass huge swarm of of cvs um i i work very closely with um my like people in culture and hr departments who and essentially acting as the the hiring manager so we are very much in sync on exactly what we're looking for and what questions they can ask immediately to help weed out. Fortunately, I am able to, to go through and put eyes on the majority of CVs that have come through. Sometimes there have been situations where it has been just been too much. Um, and uh, that's why I've spent the extra time with the hiring manager to, to you know upskill them um, about exactly what we're looking for. And so I can spread that, spread that load. So it starts with you know, being very, very careful um, and meticulous around the actual job description itself. You know, I the days of you know, a job description listing, you must have experience with 20 lang these 20 languages, these six databases and these 15 tools and that. 
No, I mean, I, I've you know, done that in so long. I'm trying to find the right person, hence why I keep on going back to the way it's written. Of course, they need core core skills, um, but then I'm trying I'm trying to write it to to attract people with who, who think a certain way. It's uh, it's still a challenge, but um, that's general approach I've, ta- uh, I've taken. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'd agree with Mitch. I, I'd even extend that and say um, I think it pays dividends to put a lot of effort uh, into putting as much um, as much about your company, your tech stack, your processes public as possible. Um, if you have those things documented, um, then the candidates that come to you knowing them also know the, the company culture or they have a really good idea of it. So that gives you a, an opportunity to screen out um, bad fits pretty quickly because they didn't do the time to even Google you. Um, but it also gives you a chance to make sure that you've got really high quality candidates in the mix. So you're better off getting someone who aligns well with the way you work. And I think um, you can probably see that if you look at uh, if you look at your GitLabs and your Atlassians and things like that. If you Google, you know how they they do their SDLCs and things like that, you'll be able to find very detailed uh, documentation for for that kind of stuff. You might have some restrictions there. It's not like you can go and put table schemas out on public pages and things like that. Um, but a little bit of effort there goes a long way, I think. Um, in that, you know, they can you can present yourself well to the candidate, and then you can use that to screen out the candidates that didn't bother to engage at all and were just you know shooting out or using a tool to shoot out as many um applications as they could yeah definitely it is an unusual situation to be in where you're sort of an embarrassment of riches i guess when it comes to the the number of people that want to work in the industry but then as sam is saying sort of the effort that goes into having them not just want to work in the industry but want to work for you and at your company and be invested in what you're doing and even learn from you i think it's definitely very important uh did, did you have any sort of closing comments there, Chris? No, it's it's it's, um, <clears throat> it's definitely good uh, perspective there. We're kind of talking about um, all that pre-work. So even before the job ad goes out, you know, how are you presenting your organisation out to the world to um, create the fire? I mean, everyone hears about Microsoft and Amazon and so forth, right? They've got their brand out there. So when they... I don't know, do they even put ads out? You know, they seem to just do their own sort of uh, recruitment of sucking people into their world. Um, and yeah, I, w- I wouldn't disagree, you know, um, uh, in terms of the creation of the job description becomes the next step of the ad um, in terms of uh, triggering the right people to, to apply. Uh, and, then, and then you're effectively doing your first two stages of interviewing right there, right? Definitely. And I guess the process that you do it as well. I mean, obviously, I'm a little bit biased. You can always use a recruiter, but uh, and then obviously there's going out to your networks and everything. And uh, I, I see a lot of value coming from uh, companies you know, having that faith in the, in the people that's already worked with them that know how the company works. And then you know, having a friend, every software engineer knows another software engineer that does something similar. Uh, and, and being able to expand it that way. Uh, I'm not saying that way is better. I, I always think there's one other option that's better than that. But um, yeah, it, it's definitely the the ways that you can streamline that process to reduce the number of candidates um, is definitely always going to be tricky. And um, yeah, it's one of those unfortunate situations. But uh, yeah, Mitch? Um, you know, I, I just thought of something quite specific. I know I keep on talking about the job, the job description. Um, quite recently, uh, maybe uh, maybe a year, year and a half ago, actually, um, after experiencing 
the I suppose the success rate of the amount of candidates that would apply for roles versus the the you know the the, the screening process and then let's I suppose the success rate for want of a better phrase um you know, I mean, you know our particular industry in e-commerce uh I intentionally in the job description basically talked about curiosity and that the, the candidate really needs to be okay operating in ambiguity and I worded very specific like that must be okay operating in ambiguity because many people don't that's not their that they, they don't want to they want to be in a more safer waterfall type of environment and that we actually did see a, a, a difference in terms of well the number of candidates that so not as many as previously now it could have been the ebbs and flows of the market that influenced that it's very difficult to say but um had a pretty pretty positive experience when really including really specific sentences like that um must be okay operating in ambiguity it's quite a quite a specific um sentence so if you're not you really shouldn't be applying yeah anything else there chris yeah well i think i, I think we um uh, all strive for quality over quantity i mean i'd much rather 15 candidates that are excellent that i can't separate uh, than 400 candidates um, simply from a time consumption perspective you know and and trying to weed out the um the the, the good from the bad through that process so um yeah definitely great um great insights and, and that leads us to mitch and, and one that i find very interesting and one that i i find myself sort of consulting with with hiring managers a lot on is uh, sort of the number of stages and everything that an interview process should entail uh, what were your thoughts around that yeah look this is a tough one you know a company perhaps of a certain size uh certain stature like you know the googles um maybe the yeah the GitLabs and whatnot they might you know have a very streamlined process where they well quote unquote need to have say more than six stages it's still very debatable um it's, it's my experience that you know there are there are ways to structure the 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 hiring process where you simply just don't need to utilize that mu- that 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 much of somebody's time be very clear about what you want and the, the type of person that you want uh i found that you know that the the truly experienced uh engineers they're simply not wanting they're simply i think i might mention it um, earlier on that they're simply uh, avoiding those types of roles and might be, whether it's even if it's google or another big you know um a premium uh name they're simply simply shying away from that because they feel that they don't need to they should uh, why should i have to go through that i've got this amazing ex- experience i'm very confident in what i can do i know that i can go and get a very good role and i just don't need to go through that process and you know i think in my experience going through interview processes for myself that have been many different stages. I can't remember a single one that was really necessary. Uh, and I found, and I've, I've had pretty poor experiences whereby, you know, I should have listened to my intuition at the beginning when the company didn't fully know what they wanted and they couldn't articulate it. So then that, you know, even with that, then you take somebody, you know, six, which then probably adds up to maybe seven or eight hours of somebody's time, maybe even more, and then there's a test involved. I think, you know, to my experience on both sides of the hiring process, it's becoming less and less um, less tolerable 
for for good candidates that feel why should I need to do that? Uh, it seems there's a little bit behind the times, but obviously, you know, certain industries might really need to go through some rigorous structured processes. So, you know, you can't speak for everyone, but as a general statement, no, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing that sort of go, um, um, go away effectively, or at least be reduced, be more creative to find the right people. Um, so just, you know, for us here, uh, we structure the, the stages, you know, pretty carefully and set the expectations up front. You know, it's, it's a mixture of casual conversations to set some expect, you know, set some understanding and expectations and try to, you know, learn who each other are before, before we both decide to move forward. Because after that first conversation, which is the, the first stage, and it's just a casual conversation, um, the candidate may decide, well, thank you, thank you for bringing that to life. Um, I actually know enough now that it's probably not for me. And they haven't wasted that time by going through six, seven stages and, and then only being, only realizing that then. Yeah. I think off the back of that, one thing that always comes back to me is, you know, if you're interviewing someone to join your company and it's three or nine or how many uh, in between uh, processes there are, the candidate is also interviewing your company. Uh, and whether or not they need three or, or nine uh, interviews to make that decision uh, is something that I think needs to be taken into account. And I, I mean, I realized 10 years ago, it was definitely a, a one-track hiring where the hiring manager was saying, I, if I want this person to join, I'll make that decision. Now it very much is a, I'm almost spoiled for choice as a candidate. I'm going to interview that company to see if they meet my requirements. And it, if you're insisting on almost an archaic interview structure where it's, you know, three rounds of culture or and then you've got three technical rounds and then you've got a final round and then a, and then a final final round whether or not that is perceived by a candidate as a place that they want to work because going back to what sam said before being able to structure your interview process uh, and your technical test specifically around how it, it, it actually is to work at your company if you've got a long-winded interview process how does that look to a candidate when they've got an exciting company that's got two or three rounds or you've got an exciting company as well that's got nine rounds yeah why does it take that many stages to make a decision because they will have made a decision probably by the second or third round uh based on the candidate feedback that i get uh chris sam any, any thoughts you can join, um, sam. yeah so i'd probably echo you, uh, echo you there fraser in that I don't think it matters how many stages you have in the recruitment process, but um, the candidate has to get something out of every stage. Mm. So, um, you know, if you have nine stages, uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm dubious that you're actually, uh, that the candidate's getting anything out of those those latter ones. I, I think with some of the bigger firms, they have enough gravity. You know, uh, Chris, you were saying before, do they even advertise? Well, they don't really. They use those stages as induction. You know that's that's their screening that's their they expect that they're going to get that many candidates that they use that process there and once they've got a certain gravity i think um it starts being a um a competition to the candidate they want to see how many stages they can get through before they get failed out or you know um how far they can pass through i know there's definitely some larger companies that that use strategies like that uh but, uh, you know, as I say, everything you do here, or as Fraser says as well, everything you do here is telling the candidate about yourself. And if you have, you know, that long-winded stage, you are really telling the candidate that you weren't willing to put in the time and effort to understand them or write a good, you know, give them a good understanding of the job. You just wanted them to do all the work and then turn up and be another cog in the machine. 
um, or at least that's, that's that's my opinion on it. Um, some people really respond to that sort of thing, but I think, as again, I think that's really the gamification of it. They want to see how far they can get through more than anything, more than engaging with the company or the role. That's what they're doing. Yeah. I guess you get to the point then of, you know, are you winning the role or are you actually earning it on some sort of merit there as well? So mm. uh, it can be a bit dangerous. And Chris? Yeah, so I've, I've um, obviously, as I mentioned previously, I've, I've recently started my current role and there was a two-month period there of, of job hunting and there were a few companies where it was um, uh, multiple interview processes. And as a as a candidate, it gets, gets quite grueling and, and repetitive. I often felt that um, every time I engaged with another person from the same company, I had to go through the... the, the same spiel about me now the interviews didn't really stack up so to speak you know they're always different people so i gotta go all right now i gotta explain me again and what are my values and my principles and this is why i'm going for this particular job sort of thing so half the interview i was just trying to repeat myself and a few times i'd kind of go oh you know what actually the guy before i spoke the, the, the guy before you i spoke to spoke to you know I, I did a better job of this than what i did at the moment but i you know i didn't get much out of those interview processes um, I just felt like I was getting weeded out, and, and, the, and the more you go through, you just feel like the more insignificant things get picked on that probably don't really matter that much at the end of the day. That you're just kind of weighing up two candidates and going, "Ah, oh, well, this one, I don't know, uh, didn't return his cup to the kitchen or something like that." So, you know, I'm going to go for the other person instead of this one, sort of thing. You know, it's kind of, you know, what I mean, so. Um, and in my, my, my previous role, it was a small company. I pretty much just had um, two stages that I did myself. I would ring up a person and just ask them flat out a bunch of questions that were going to be showstoppers from our perspective in terms of work ethic and, and things like that, you know, attendance in the office and so forth. And if they passed that, you got a you got a, um, an interview. And I, I backed myself on the intuition of my uh, abilities to pick a good candidate. I didn't see the point of taking them through a, a technical assessment because I didn't really mind that much. Uh, I was more after personality than I was after the ability to Google. Um, you know, and I backed myself uh, on those sorts of things. So just just those two um, sides of the coin, um, I guess. But like working at a larger organisation now, I do understand that there are steps they got to go through from a due diligence process to go yes 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 tick 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 but i probably find half of them are valuable and the other half aren't terribly valuable any closing statements to the image uh i think actually it sort of links to what the guys have said especially chris at the end i have intentionally um structured the first stage um as not an interview so it's not an interview it's about half an hour just a chat so we can get to start to get to know each other and that is actually how it's positioned specifically it's not an interview um so we start to get a sense of of who we both are i'm bringing to life the company where we've been where we're headed the team the pace um also ask questions you know trying to get a sense of the the candidates what, what are their values you know what gets their juices flowing in everything that they've worked on in their experience from their cv what what are they really interested in um, what, what gets the juices flowing out of that list what uh, i ask questions like you know what um technical areas that are you interested in that interested in that you've never you know you had never been exposed to that you're curious to to get involved with so i'm asking those types of questions to 
to you know get a sense of the person um but it's not an interview it's just a discussion half an hour is not a lot of time this is after the the screening process of cvs and whatnot um and switching to that approach before going moving into technical discussions the can't will be both and have a really good much better sense of who we, who, who we are instead of just diving right into a technical deep dive and found good success pivoting to, to that to the, uh, that approach yeah is there a worry then that that strategy could weed out some really amazing people and everything but they're a little bit more introverted so they won't react well to just a, a 30 minute discussion uh, I, I mean i could be wrong but is there a chance that you might lose some really quality people that might sort of really shine in, a, in an environment where they don't have to talk for 30 minutes straight uh, i suppose it's very dependent on your company your team what what the what the objectives are and you know the, the success criteria of that role is every day yeah. uh no, I think that it's because it's a discussion and you can get a sense if someone is quite intro introverted at the beginning, we can, you can tailor the discussion to be in, in a certain direction. Um, you maybe go a bit softer, but you're learning that upfront mm. for the technical side. Uh, but yeah, I suppose, you know, that's, I've had success in, you know, this approach, but that's, you know, that's also specific to the industry and the companies, right? Yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, did anyone else have any sort of closing statements around what, what anyone else has said? Um, uh, I actually do the same thing, as you mentioned, that we do, we call it the informal interview, the, the first 30 minutes where you actually just talk to the candidate. Um, I, I think actually working out that the candidate's introverted is really useful because that um, it likely means that you you know you need to choose where to put them maybe the role that they're applying for isn't ideal and you want to say to them hey have you heard about this role we've got open in this team it's not customer facing or something like that and then all of a sudden you can see them oh yeah that's where they're engaged that's what they want to do with so i, I think yeah i, I think you, you do have to be that comes down to the, uh, probably the, the skill of the person doing the interview but um, if you if you do it right, you don't lose candidates. I think you actually you um, will retain more of them, even if they're introverted. Nice. And probably dealing with an introverted person, probably the easiest way to do it is a conversation over a phone call. Hmm. You know, it's, it's it's the least confrontational way that you can do it, particularly when you when you when you're gearing up to say it's not a technical conversation. I just want to get to know you. I'll explain a little bit more about the job, the role. Um, you, know, you know, the company, give a little background. And then when they move into those more formal processes, they've already got an idea of what that organization is doing. I, I, I hate wasting time in interviews where you, where you, you the, the candidate is telling you a lot about things that you just don't really care about. Um, and, and you really want them to focus on the bits that matter to your organization. Um, so that um, initial conversation can kind of help set up, you know, the success of every other you know, interview that goes on after that point. It almost, to a certain extent, replaces the requirement of a cover letter, where you're allowing them to almost verbally, sort of, deliver their cover letter to you, and then you have that ability to sit back and go, "Well, you know, that's a lot better than reading a rather disappointed <laughs> uh, letter of some you know, providence, where now they've actually told me what they really get passionate about, and you can see or you can hear in their voice that that is something that they, that really drives them." And as you say, Sam, you can then sort of move the interview in a certain way that sort of goes in that direction instead of just having, I guess, the the cookie cutter approach to every single person that's going to apply for a role, which I, I think becomes very important as you go through the interview process. Yeah. 
Perfect. Well, look, I, I think I can speak for everyone, guys, when I say uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, I think everyone uh, who's listened in is, is more than likely to learn something, not just about the three of you, but also around how you guys uh, sort of conduct the interview process. And I think that's going to interest a lot of people who are both looking at applying to you in, in the future. And your insights and experience have obviously given me a lot to think about and uh, you know, for my business, but also to how potentially applying for jobs in the future can be done slightly differently. Uh, but I, I really want to thank you all for, for taking the time to talk to us around how we can modernize the process of interviewing and potentially onboarding and, and how we do things in the future. So thank you. Thank you.